Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. Because, well, sex matters. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy. All right, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 83, and it's titled How to Fix a Sexless marriage. So this is going to be fun. And I think it's going to be fun for a lot of reasons. One, of course, a lot of people actually have this problem. So they're going to be very interested in knowing how to fix this. But two, one of the things that you mentioned, Celine, was that neither you nor I have ever actually been in a sexless marriage. And so I think it's gonna be really fascinating for us to sort of see a different perspective than, than what we've personally experienced. Yes, absolutely. So we found a guest who has some experience and not only does she have experience, she has solutions too for you. So we are super excited today because we have Candace Smith that is here with us today. Candace is an award-winning Harvard-educated couples intimacy consultant specializing in in intimate communication. She co-founded Two to Tango with her love and partner Luke and created Sexperiential Learning, a new kind of sex education for adults with a hands-on, pleasure-based curriculum in a box. That is juicy, that is sexy, and I'm super excited to welcome Candace to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes! Well, Candice, so we kind of went on your site, we looked around and we learned that you used to have bad sex when you grew up and you didn't know how to advocate for your pleasure. Um, and basically now you have this company and you help people have better sex, deeper intimacy. And this got us so curious because we're like, how do you go from one place to the other? And um, we want to take you all on a journey to... Um, understand. We're, we're going back to the beginning to yes. get at the root of how this all <laughs> happened. So, and, and I think your story from when you were younger is probably the story that most of us had, right? So in, in your video where, when you're um, introducing Tango and sort of saying how you came up with this, one of the things you say is that as a, as a young person growing up, you didn't really have any sex education. And so uh, we've all had various levels of that. Like, I didn't really have any sex education either. But Celine, growing up in Europe, actually did have sex education. So I'm curious, what was your sex education like growing up? What were you told? Who told it to you? Where did you get this stuff from? Yeah, uh, well, it was a, a don't ask, don't tell policy at home. Uh, nobody wanted to talk about sex um, and not really healthy intimacy either. I think uh, I was a child of divorced parents. There were a lot of divorced uh, family members living in my family. So I really didn't get the chance to see what healthy romantic intimacy looked like growing up as well as sex. And so when I, uh, so I was in a private school, very, very small. Our class size was about uh, 20 kids in total. Um, and then when I went to public school, that was really where I think it was the eighth grade I, w I went to public school and started um, making new friends. And that was really where I was exposed to some of these conversations about sex and sexuality, but it was really a, a based around peer conversations. So conversations with girlfriends, you know, have you kissed a guy? And, you know, what is that like? And what are the expectations? And what are the bases? And all of those things. And then, of course, the internet um, discovering 
pornography and learning a little bit more there um, and starting to kind of download these different messages around what sex was supposed to be and how I was supposed to perform as a woman or as a girl um, sexually. So Kenneth, it really sounds like the experience you had growing up was very similar to what I had because I went uh, to a very small school originally, a class size of like 20 people. It was basically forbidden to talk about sex there. And then I went to public school afterwards and it was like a whole other world. But I think as you probably realized, that's about the worst place to learn your sex education from. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So, okay. So obviously you didn't learn a lot in school and growing up. So let's maybe jump one more step ahead. Now you're a young adult. How did this lack of education affect your early sexual experiences? Well, I think one of the the biggest messages that I learned was that pleasure, my pleasure was shameful. Um, It wasn't good to talk about masturbation, right? Masturbation was a, a, a shameful thing. It's something that people would laugh at. Um, I always had to worry about how I looked. I always had to worry about how I sounded. Um, I had to make sure that my partner's pleasure came first. And so getting some of these messages about uh, pleasure and getting some of these messages that, you know, I'll give you an, an example. Oh yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> if a guy, if you turn a guy on, it's my responsibility to make sure that he has an orgasm mm-hmm. because if a guy is turned on and he doesn't have an orgasm, he's going to get blue balls and he's going to be in pain. And so I don't want to be responsible for a guy being in pain. I have to make sure that I take care of that. Yeah. So that being an expectation, um, I then, whether I was in the mood or not, if I was with a partner and I knew that they were turned on, I knew that I was going to have to follow through. Even if I was just teasing or flirting, if he got turned on, it was then my responsibility to make sure whether I was in the mood or not, that he would orgasm. And that puts a lot of pressure, right? I mean, it, it kind of takes the fun out of sex or kind of remove some of the desire for it. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it set, it set me up pretty early on to feel like I had to perform. Mm. I was constantly being judged for my performance. I was constantly being judged for how I sounded. Um, and it, and it was always this feeling that I had to give pleasure and never receive pleasure. And I don't, and obviously at that time I wasn't conceptualizing of it like this, like in terms of like my giving and receiving pleasure, but it was really just a matter of, is he feeling good? Did he finish? Those were my goals and those were my standards that I set for whether or not I was doing a good job, right? Mm -hmm. Sex became a a job and it became something that I had to do well and I had to perform well to make sure that my partner was happy. Um, So in thinking about those things and in prioritizing those things, pleasure became very deprioritized for me. Um, My own experience, my own receiving of pleasure 
um, became something that I would just kind of push away. You know, if a guy wanted to go down on me, um, I would say, no, 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 you're fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, what are you going to get out of that anyways? Mm. They, you won't get any enjoyment out of that. So if you don't get enjoyment out of that, there's no reason. I mean, you and I are just going to be sitting there waiting for me to orgasm, which who knows if that's going to happen. <laughs> and so then I'm, I'm, I'm just laying there thinking, well, how much time has passed? Uh, three minutes. Is that too long? Five minutes. Is that too long? Um, am I making the right noises to make him feel like he's doing a good job? Um, am I, am I doing the right things? Uh, maybe it's too long now. Maybe he's getting bored of this. Maybe his tongue's getting tired. Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, okay. I, I'm just going to fake it now. I'm going to fake it right now. And hopefully I do the convincing noises and the convincing sounds, uh, to make sure that he's okay with it. And that became my sexual experience. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the example that you just brought up is a big one. And if anybody's listened to this show long enough, you know that one of the number one things that we teach people is exactly not that. Like, don't do <laughs> that. <laughs> and, and by what I mean by that is that whole idea that just because you got turned on, especially as a guy, oh, you got a boner for some reason, now you have to finish. There's a whole bunch of reasons why that's absolutely 100% wrong. But I'll give you just one, guys, that are listening that might change your idea about that, which is whatever pleasure you receive from that three to five minutes, that whole scenario that was just going on in Candace's head, that is nothing compared to the pleasure you could experience if you were to delay that gratification and take the experience into a much longer, much better experience, right? So, so she should not be trying to get you off as quickly as she can. That's not really her responsibility. And, and you should be enjoying the process of it all. Mm, the process of pleasuring her. So I want to put something into the time frame here. So I'm imagining that we're talking about kind of the early on years of your sexual life here. Um, and how does that kind of fit with you going to Harvard? Like, how do you go study sexuality, have a degree in Harvard when basically you're having bad sex? Like, I'm kind of like trying to yeah. figure that one so, out. <laughs> so if sex wasn't that good, what made you decide to go study sex? <laughs> usually yeah. people don't yeah. do that. You know, they will turn on porn or they'll, I don't know, they'll do something else. They won't go to Harvard. That's that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. It's something that I get pretty often. So something that I, I'm still getting used to talking about, and I think it's, uh, it's obviously... You know, these are the times to start having more of these conversations. But in my uh, in my earliest sexual experiences, um, not knowing how to advocate for my pleasure, not knowing how to advocate for my yeses or my noes, because I didn't know what I wanted and, and I expected my partner to lead. Um, I was sexually assaulted in high school. And so it's something that I don't talk about as much, but it shook me very deeply because even in my initial conceptualization of that experience, um, I thought I, I thought it was my fault. Mm. You know, I, I thought that I was asking for it. I thought that I led him on. Um, and, you know, I, I had found him attractive. And so that experience, I thought that that was, even though I was not uh, necessarily a willing participant, I told myself that I had brought that on. I had invited it. And 
So when I ended up going to Harvard, you know, I was still kind of struggling with this. I had told no one. I told absolutely nobody about what happened. And in going to school, um, I happened to find introduction to women, gender, and sexuality studies. And I said, you know, this might be an interesting course to take. I don't know what it's about. I've never heard of this. Um, and what I ended up learning in that initial introductory class changed my life. Uh, it changed the way that I look at the world. It changed the way that I understood my silence, the way that I understood consent um, and power dynamics and relationships. And, and that was really where I just dove in. I said, you know what? I, I want to learn this more. And my family was like, oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to Harvard. Do something like become a lawyer. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was like, no, I found, my, I found my purpose. I don't know what it is yet, but, I, but this is calling to me. And, uh, and so I continued to take more classes um, and focusing in sexuality studies uh, specifically. And, uh, and that's really where, where I, I fell more into uh, this field. But I will say, though, even in, in taking sexuality studies, you know, there, there's misconceptions when people hear that word. They think, oh, well, what, you, did you go to school to Harvard to learn how to give a better blowjob or <laughs> learn how to go there in bed or something? And it, it really had nothing to do with that. It really was about um, the, the theoretical application of sexuality, of consent, of power dynamics and relationships, domestic violence and things like that. And so um, when it came to some of these uh, topics, I was learning quite a lot, but I wasn't translating those things that I learned into how to speak up for myself. So I still had bad relationships. I still had bad sex. Mm. Um, and I felt a lot of shame around that too. I felt an extra layer of shame, like, right, I, I'm, I'm a sexuality studies major and I know all these things and I, you know, I'm a feminist now and, and now I understand all these different things, but I, I still, I still don't feel like I'm good in bed. I still have a lot of shame and I still don't know how to advocate for myself. I still haven't mm -hmm. healed from my assault. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it, it led me down a rabbit hole through most of my 20s, I would say, of uh, experimentation. And I guess what I like to call my passion project <laughs> mm -hmm. of um, having to learn how to stand up for myself and advocate for myself um, intimately and stand up and, and, and learn how to have a better relationship with pleasure. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's super powerful, and it's definitely not a story that is rare, right? We hear we hear this type of story a lot. We hear of so many women, and sometimes men, where they've been assaulted, and it messes things up, and then there's all these different emotions, and it's really difficult to move through them, and it kind of like it's a baggage that a lot of people carry, and they carry it in the bedroom, they carry it into everything they do, and it, it, it does make it hard. It does make it that life is less enjoyable in so many ways. Um, 
what, you know, since we are here around kind of that pain subject and before we go into more of the positive notes, um, I'm really curious about that place you were in where you like, so you're saying, yeah, I'm studying sexuality. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, so many people want to do that, right? They read a book, they watch a movie, they do this and they're like, okay, I'm reading about it. It still doesn't make it that you're good in bed or you know what to do. And you're in this place where you have a lot of the tools available or knowledge, maybe knowledge, not that tools, but yet you're still experiencing um, like a sexless relationship. And I want to hear more about what what happens, like how is it like to be in a sexless relationship? Sure, sure. So I, I had a number of obviously failed relationships early on in my 20s, and um, didn't really know how to ask for what I wanted. And so, um, and over time I was becoming less and less, uh, intrigued by the idea of sex. I wasn't as excited by the thought of it. Um, it still very much felt like a chore. And, uh, so when I entered into my first serious relationship in, um, my mid twenties, um, I'd say I was 24. I, I very quickly got through the honeymoon stage with my partner and I stopped wanting to be touched. And I think it all started for me when he brought up this issue that he found with my ability to orgasm. I wasn't mm. orgasming fast enough. And so he put a voice to my fear that I had been holding on to that, you know, oh, I'm, I'm not doing it fast enough. I'm not authentic. He was very much about like showing up authentically as your sexual self, but also performing at the same time. Mm. He had his own expectations of, you know, what he felt had he had done well with his previous partners. Um, and he thought that that should translate into my pleasure as well. And when it didn't, um, the only solution was that it, it, it was, it was me. It had to be me, um, because I wasn't responding to things that had worked well with mm -hmm. other partners. And I think that's obviously one of those myths that we carry with us is, you know, Oh, if someone's good in bed, um, or if you're good in bed with a, with one partner, um, then everyone else would automatically love what you do. Um, and of course that's not true. Everybody's body works differently and pleasure works differently for different people. And so in discovering, um, in discovering that he felt I wasn't orgasming fast enough, I started to feel even more like I had to fake it even more. Like I had to come to the table with something to show him that I was being authentic. And so I was trying so hard to authentically orgasm that it became this huge source of stress mm. and frustration um, to the point where I actually physically started feeling revulsion at the thought of him touching me. And it was, um, I can still remember it now. It's like a very visceral reaction I would get goosebumps uh, when he would touch my shoulder because that was a trigger for me. I knew that if he touched my shoulder, it was going to lead to a neck massage, which was going to lead to uh, just take clothes off and he wants a blow job and then he expects this and he expects that. And then I have to orgasm for him and I have to make sure that I'm doing all of these things as he expects or I'm not showing up authentically and he's not going to be pleased. Um, again, 
with this thought of like his orgasm and my performance to please him being the measures of success. Um, and so it, it just became, it became the opposite of enjoyable. I would say that like it's, it became so unenjoyable that I was literally physically repulsed by the idea of having sex. Yeah. You know, honestly, Candace, you are our absolute client avatar. <laughs> like, like the things that you went through are exactly what we help people with. And I bring that up simply because you are not alone. There are so many people. We spend so much time trying to educate people on these exact topics. For instance, the, the, the example that you just gave us, it's just another one of those big traps, right? Like, oh, I did good with these other women, so therefore you should be just fine. It must be you, right? <laughs> not only do those things not work for every woman, but the same things don't work for the same woman in the same day. You could make love in the morning, and what you did worked great, and she screamed in pleasure. Now you're having sex in the evening, and it doesn't work, right? Because she's a woman, and she's like water, and she's flowing, and she's changing. She needs different things at different times. Oh my, if I had a dime for every time I've heard people with that issue. So thank you so much for voicing that, because I think a lot of people listening to this can really resonate with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think for myself, that was, that was the final straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm. Being in that situation and, and being like, I'm, I'm 24 and I feel like my, my body's broken. Wow. I'm 24 and I feel like I don't have, I don't have any sexual desire. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course that has such huge implications for the way that I saw myself, the way that I presented myself to other people, my confidence, my, my daily happiness and my stress levels and depression and all of those things can result from, um, not being well fucked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's just put it. How it is, not being well fucked. <laughs> so, but this is a great segue then, right? Mm-hmm. Because, all right, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. So how did that lead you to developing this new product that you have? Like, and, and are there things that you tried? Like, you're like, okay, now that this is it, I have to do something. Like, what were the first steps you took to start to bring pleasure back? Like, in a, in a way that was good for you. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm a nerd. (laughs) I'm a self-professed nerd. Uh, when I have a problem, I don't know, I research it. And so in this particular case, I turned to the internet. I was doing a lot of reading about, uh, sexlessness, about lack of pleasure, about, uh, issues with libido, um, about how to have healthy relationships and how to speak to your partner when the, your partner doesn't understand and you keep trying to tell them over and over uh, what your needs are um, in a way that isn't causing argument or causing uh, defensiveness or you know hurting ego and things like that. Um, and I think one of the first things that, that I learned is... Um, to shift my definition of sex and pleasure and foreplay. Um, I think really shifting my definitions and and I'm a certified educator after I um, graduated from Harvard, I ended up going and getting my master's in education and uh, definitions are very near and dear to my heart. Um, And, and just defining what, um, what pleasure 
could look like and what pleasure should look like, um, I think for myself was one of the first places where I went and um, identifying some of the patterns that weren't working for me in terms of how I was being touched or how I didn't want to be touched. Um, and really just thinking clearly about what my yeses and nos were. Um, I think I had, I had been allowing myself to be led so much. I had submitted so much to what I thought my partner wanted that I didn't know what made me feel good. Mm. And so you can't speak up for yourself when you don't know what feels good. And so I started exploring my body more. I invested in some sex toys. I, uh, ended my relationship. <laughs> that was- <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> um, and I, I started really uh, intentionally prioritizing finding pleasure again mm-hmm. and understanding what that looked like for myself. And uh, along the way, I ended up getting into um, research around kink and BDSM because as I mentioned, Uh, one of the things that I studied at Harvard was relationship power dynamics and consent. And I'd always found it from an academic standpoint, I'd found it very fascinating that um, couples that, or or partners um, that practice BDSM uh, and, and play, they negotiate what they consent to. And they talk about openly what they want to do with each other. And I think that was revolutionary to me because I had never talked with a partner about what we were going to do to each other. He just pushed my head a certain way, or he said, let's, we're doing this. Or he said that. And I would say, uh, sure. Yeah. Whatever you want. Right. And I would just kind of go with the flow because I thought that was what was expected of me. I thought that not talking about sex was sexy. Um, and just and letting the passion speak for itself, letting our bodies speak for themselves. Uh, when in reality, I found uh, I discovered that that was very different. And so I decided um, when I started dating again that I was going to experiment and I was going to uh, try some of these things that I found intriguing. And I found out very quickly that my body was not broken at all. Mm. That was all about mindset. Mm. Um, And in those first um, experimentations, I think um, I I practiced, you know, I I experimented with domination and submission and I experimented being dominant and I experimented with being submissive and I talked about what I actually wanted. And it brought up this question of what do I actually want? And I think for myself, when I I end up speaking with um, other women uh, my clients who are in the same position, um, I ask them, we start with this question of what do you want? And the first answer is, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's we never know. And, and we're not taught to think about what we want. We're just taught to react to what we think our partner wants. Mm-hmm. And so that for me was revolutionary. So I love all of this, Candice. That's a fantastic journey. And I think it's going to speak to so many of our listeners. I've heard a version of this story like so many times, hundreds of times by now. So I know everyone can get a little piece in there that will resonate. And so what I would love for you to do is to share a little bit with our listeners uh, more about the the kits that you've created and um, the 
that can help them open up this communication and and play with pleasure and explore because I think this is really like now it's like they're ready they want that solution like tell them a little bit more about it absolutely so uh fast forward a couple of years right so I've been I've been reconnected to my body I'm <laughs> passion and I know how to speak up for what I want I've discovered how to advocate for myself and have found healing and have found joy and have found ecstasy within that and uh the more that you learn how to talk about sex and intimacy the more that you you get playful with it, mm. right? There's a lot of play involved in negotiating what you want to do with someone. And uh, there's there's a flirtation to it. And I learned that foreplay is not just the thing that you do immediately leading up to sex. It is the energy that you have with your partner that it that continually exists, right? And you can, you can always play with that. And so I, as I got more into play myself, I started thinking about what are the ways that we can that we can teach other people how, how to find this magic, how to find this magic in the bedroom of uh, communicating through play and finding playful passion. And uh, as an educator, I had focused on um, something called experiential learning with my students. And, and it's just a fancy way of saying learning through experience, right? You learn through experience, you have a project, it's hands-on, uh, you know, you get your hands dirty and then you learn from that, right? And it's one of the best ways that children learn. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with adults. We're all human, right? Our brains learn better when we when we get our hands dirty. And so I thought, what is more hands-on than sex, right? It's the most important <laughs> thing to do. Um, and so if there's a breakdown in communication with people like myself who have struggled, who have felt shame, who have felt a lack of passion um, and don't know how to talk to their partner about it, one of the best ways to overcome the awkwardness of intimate communication, that initial awkwardness, is through play. And that's really where Tango came about, this idea of guiding couples to play together with curated games that mm. come in a box and mm -hmm. are delivered to your door. Um, so that was really where, where Tango got started. And then I took all of my other learnings, you know, with the the negotiating consent and power dynamics and all of these other things and, and kind of um, put them put them into the box disguised as games. Yeah, and you have different uh, theme for the box because I know that for some people, they're like, oh, BDSM, I'm not interested in exploring the kinky. Uh, but then there's the pre presence box or there's, like, there's different ones that can resonate so that wherever you are on that spectrum, you can just start to experiment with one or the other. Uh, there's even the option to be surprised for the very adventurous couple, right? Where it's like, give me a surprise tango. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I would recommend so that. Yeah. And I would recommend for people that even if you don't think that, that you're into this particular one, that you should probably try it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, uh, I would always recommend it. People ask me, you know, what, what kit would you recommend? And I always say presence first, because mm -hmm. I think it's a, a great introductory kit. It was actually, um, the, the first kit that I created, um, is about just being present and quieting that noise. I mean, I think the first story that I that I ended up telling you guys is about all of the noise that was going on in my head about the expectations for performance and is he enjoying 
giving me pleasure and when is when is too long is is he waiting too long for me to orgasm right and all of these things that that we have going on in our lives the hustle culture and the do 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 and the be turned on and answer emails look at your phone look at social media all of these things keep us from being present especially when it comes time to be vulnerable and receive pleasure right and mm-hmm. give pleasure these things are not about I mean, obviously there's action, there's movement, but, but these things are about being in the moment and being focused on the physical sensations, um, and enjoying with your partner. And so I think it's, it's a being present is a lesson that no matter where you are in your sexual journey, it is valuable to visit and revisit. Absolutely. We did, um, we did a talk where, um, we had the different women in the room um, say like, hey, what's the number one thing that they find is most attractive in a man? And what they all wanted and found attractive was presence. Yeah. So awesome. if you're a guy and you're listening, you're like, I'm not sure if I get it, like get the kits and <laughs> focus, like work on presence, like explore what that means. Um, if you are interested in finding out more about the different kits, the Tango products, we have a link for you in the comments below and you can explore all of Candice's like fantastic games to bring more pleasure and, and bring sex back to the relationship. Absolutely. And we've got one last question for Candace. We do. You want to ask it, Kevin? I'll ask it this time. <laughs> we, we've got a new uh, sort of tradition here at the Love Lab podcast that when we interview somebody, we always finish with the same question, which is, what is your best sexual talent? Ooh, what is my best sexual talent? That's a great question. I think, I think for myself, and pardon my pause, I'm, I'm really, I, I want to give you a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> I hear the Jeopardy music in the background. No, you know, I, I, I know we were just talking about it and it seems like such an easy segue, but I think my best sexual talent is my ability to be present with my partner and to get lost in the moment. Um, I think it's something that I'm the most proud of. It's something that I have worked the hardest on in my sexual journey is shutting off the noise and allowing myself to actually receive pleasure and be okay with it and not be ashamed of it. Um, And so I think for myself, it's not a position, it's not an action, it is a mindset that I am most proud of and I think is my best sexual talent that allows me to show up for and to really bond and connect with my partner. Mm, Beautiful. Candice, if um, our listeners want to find more about you, uh, where can they go to find more about you? And of course, there's the link directly, but um, I know there's tango.love and other things. Where can they find more about you, Candice? Sure. So you can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Tango Kit. Um, We're actually... um, easy to find on, on all three of those platforms. And if you actually want to connect with us, um, individually, we're going to be creating, um, a group 
for women um, to just discuss some of these taboo conversations um, with live chats that I'm going to be hosting. So just reach out on Facebook at the Tango Kit um, and I'll get you I'll get you into that group and, and we can have some fun conversations about sex. Awesome. Well, I was really want to thank you for coming on, and I love the conversation that we had today, and I always appreciate when we have a guest who what they share is so in line with what we do and what we teach. All these things that you're talking about are things that we try to help people with. And the funny thing is, is we don't always know when we get somebody on the show whether or not they're really going to be in alignment. Like, yeah, we can look at your website and stuff, but we don't really know what you're going to say when you when you get here. None of this is scripted. <laughs> so it's always such a pleasure when somebody comes on who's educated and well-spoken and the things that they're sharing with the world are exactly what we want to share with the world. So thank you so much. Thanks for the work you're doing and thank you for being here today and sharing your insights with our audience. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I I appreciate your mission and everything that you guys are doing too. So (laughs) thank you again for holding this space. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have for this week. And we will see you next week. We hope you liked this episode of the Love Lab podcast. If you enjoyed this show, leave a comment and share it with your friends. And if you want more, we have an entire digital library with the best sex tips and relationship advice at CelineRemy.com. That's C-E-L-I-N-E-R-E-M-Y.com. So join us in the sex vault to continue this adventure. Thanks for listening. And remember, you're amazing.